E-S-N-Y. Wednesday, a uh, little past 7.30. Rolling as always with my homie Chip Murphy. Chip, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing great, man. The Knicks are 500. They are. Uh, yeah. I, correct me if we have the same record as the Brooklyn Nets in 2020. Ooh, I know. How is that possible? Possibly heard. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's wildness. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how much longer that lasts. Um, but... Uh, you know, we are continuing our NBA A through Z series uh, with our podcast. The, the NBA has got a couple games under its belt. And we're super pumped that all the games are back. We get to see all the players that we, we love watching. And uh, a, a team that has always been a particular interest for us to discuss has been the Washington Wizards. Everyone knows that the Wizards really shook things up this offseason with a massive trade, bringing in a former MVP, Russell Westbrook, um, letting go, uh, you know, John Wall, big contract, but a guy who's been big in the community. Um, so to help us break that down, maybe a little bit of the offseason draft and obviously the current 2021 Washington Wizards, we are very pumped to bring on um, contributor for Fan Side is Wiz of Oz and co founder of the Working Title podcast, Jack Skolnick. Jack, what's going on, man? Thank you for coming on the show. What's going on, fellas? Great, great to uh, great to be on here. I'm excited to uh, to talk some hoops with you. I'm sorry that we got to talk about the Wizards. I know that's uh, always a sticky subject for a lot of NBA fans, but like I said, thanks for having me. No worries at all, man. Uh, we are we and me and Chip. We talk about hoops at the highest and lowest levels. It could be high school, college, <laughs> AAU. Okay. Ooh, there you go. Anything, man. We, we, you know, uh, different continents, it doesn't matter. So uh, we, we love it all, and, and we're happy to have you on tonight. And I think we were talking a little bit before we started recording. The, the best place to always start is with you, the writer, um, and someone who is a fan of the Washington Wizards. Yes, sir. Uh, and I'll be honest, a franchise that I don't know a ton about. So I would like you to kind of take me behind the curtain a little bit with your fandom, maybe talk about some of your um favorite players in the franchise and kind of where it all started yeah absolutely uh so i am a i'm uh born and raised in baltimore maryland um so obviously with that you got the baltimore orioles you got the baltimore ravens but growing up you know i had i was a, in a very uh hoop centric uh household we can call it you know dad dad was a coach grandfather played professionally stuff like that but you know with all the college basketball that we watched you know i was always more intrigued by the nba and uh, back when I started watching, it was about 2003-ish, you know, you don't get to see all the primetime games. There wasn't any league pass and stuff like that. So I was, you know, watching the local games. And back then, we got the, uh, the good old uh, Washington Wizards rocking those old school blue wizardy uniforms. Um, I, funny enough, I became a fan right when they signed Gilbert Arenas. Not because of Gilbert Arenas, but right around that time frame. 
my first favorite player, this is just how I knew I was going to end up being a nerdy Wizards fan when I was younger, was Larry Hughes, the all-defensive wow. team member for the Washington Wizards in 2005, led the league in steals, was my first favorite player. And that's when I knew I was hooked um, on a franchise that uh, hasn't loved me back as much as I wish. But, you know, it's been all going, going on 17, 18 years and we're still here. Um, I've been through the ups and downs, just like you Knicks fans have been. You know, I've been through the years of Andre Blatch and Gungate and all that kind of stuff. I got to watch John Wall grow from a teenager to a, you know, to a man, all that kind of good stuff. Um, I am a diehard John Wall fan. I will argue to the depths with anybody who wants to argue with me about John Wall any day of the week. Um, I always, always got to hold it down for Gilbert Arenas. You know, he's a, he's a legend in the Baltimore metropolitan DC area. So I always got to hold it down for him. Players still uh, love him too. I mean, they, they, they love talking to him. And I thought it was interesting that, you know, Russ kind of didn't want to take number zero. He wanted to pay respects to, to, uh, to Gilbert Arenas. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Gil. So it's kind of interesting. Gil, obviously with all the Gungate stuff is a little bit shunned by the organization, right? which depends on how you want to look at it. Um, But DC, the DC area loves Gil. I think everybody still has the same, you know, that Gil was one of the, you know, when I was a kid was like, you know, he had DC, you know, glowing again. It was, it was, it was a fun time period, period for sure. And it was the brief time period of my life when I hated LeBron James because they would just whoop the Wizards' butts every single year. So, I was, um, uh, oh no, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, my bad, Jack. I didn't want to interrupt you. No. Um, yeah. So yeah, gotta hold it down for Gil. We still love him. You know, John Wall is the same way, even though he's no longer with us. And just hoping that Russ can be uh be the same cog. So. I think before we get into it, two things while you're, while you're telling me that story and before we get into the current state of the Wizards, mm-hmm. Chip obviously knows so well, but Larry Hughes, um, I wouldn't say holds a particular place in, in my heart, but certainly sticks out with Knicks fans because when, when Donnie Walsh moved heaven and earth <laughs> to uh, create the cap space for LeBron James, and uh, <laughs> I forget what summer, I think it's summer of 2010, yeah. um, but you know, we, we, we traded for Larry Hughes and mm-hmm. we were so convinced now that we had, I believe it was a, you know, a space for a max contract that, that mm-hmm. we were going to get somebody big. So, <laughs> we, you know, we were watching all these guys play for us and we were just like, yes, all of the cap space and all of this stuff. So we got to watch Larry Hughes play. He actually had a couple of good games for us and, and clearly the talent was there. Like it never, yeah. you know, he could clearly play in an NBA court, but yeah. uh, that was one interesting thing. And then the other one, <laughs> Um, oh man, did I literally just forget this? Why you're telling me was um, Andre Blatch? That was no, Andre Blatch is a blast from the past. That is a that is a huge, <laughs> huge blast from the past. Um, as a as someone who watched a lot of Nets games, my brother's oh, yeah. a Nets fan. So Andre Blatch go. was a uh, my brother would call him Brooklyn Nets legend. Andre Blatch. Oh, total, same thing in same yeah, same thing in DC, man. Total same stat thing. pattern. <laughs> Jack, you know what is is funny? I, I literally just remembered. So the Wizards teams, two of them that and I forget the years, I'm sure you'll be able to, to fill me in on that. Yeah. But I really liked I really enjoyed Walt watching the um is it Walt 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 Whitman was the, the former coach or Randy Whitman. Randy, Randy Whitman. Yeah. Randy You're Randy thinking of the poet, Whitman. I think. <laughs> 
I was about to say, that sounds outside I'm the basketball. Not, guys, I'm not nearly that cultured, so you're going to have to excuse <laughs> me on that one. But, but, um, but you know what? Randy Whitman took the Wizards, I believe it was to the playoffs. I don't know if it was one season or two seasons, but the way they played um, – those years where they had wall really killing it on, on transition, they played tough mm-hmm. defense. Like yep. those were fun teams to watch. And I thought something was going to happen there, but maybe they kind of reached their ceiling a little bit and, and mm-hmm. Whitman couldn't really take them past, but those were some really interesting teams to watch. I remember those about the wizards for sure. Oh yeah. I'll tell you, man. The, so 2015 was the Paul Pierce uh, playoff season. If you guys remember that. So the wizards yeah. traded, they one of the one of the biggest uh, disappointments for me as a fan was they let Trevor Ariza walk um, and ended up going with Paul Pierce, which ended up being you know for Beal and Wall was a big deal. Um, Randy Whitman had them playing great defense. John Wall made an all defensive team. Um, they were very young outside of Paul Pierce. Um, made the playoffs. They swept the Raptors that year, which is a very famous, uh, very famous series in Wizards history just because we swept the Toronto Raptors. Yeah. Um, and then made it to the second round against the Atlanta Hawks, who were the number one seed. That was the year that they had won 60 games with the, with the uh, I think it was their whole starting lineup were, were all-stars with, with uh, Horford and Teague and all those guys. And they won game one and John broke his hand at the end of the game and had to sit out for the next couple of games. And they ended up losing the series in six. Yeah. Uh, but that was, you know, that was like the beginning of like, okay, here we go. You know, it's, it's coming. Faded a little bit, but, you know, great, <laughs> great times with, with Wit, man. Great times with him. It was. And I think, um, you know, in, in terms of talking about the heights of, of the Wizard franchises, I, I think that's probably a good place to transition into the current state. Um, I feel like there's really no other way to start this conversation than to talk about the, the Westbrook and, and Wall trade. I think we got to start yep. there. Um, you know, December 2nd, uh, the Rockets traded Westbrook to the Wizards uh, for Wall and a protected first round pick. The protections are crazy. Um, we all know about what they'll end up potentially being in 2026 if um, certain things come to pass. But considering what Wall meant to the community, um, what was your first overall reaction to the trade? And I know now hearing that you're a huge Wall fan, too, I'm, I'm sure it's not easy. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure it's not. But essentially you know, one of the two worst, well, two of the worst contracts in the NBA were essentially traded for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, just your gut reaction and then who you feel got the better end of the deal. Yeah. So obviously as a fan, you, you know, watching, like I, like I said before, you know, I grew up with John, like literally, you know, at the time that he got drafted, he was 19. I was 15, you know, so we, I mean, we watched, we, we as fans watched him grow into the man that he is today, you know, multi-time all-star all nba type of guy right um i can tell you that as you guys can probably attest to as soon as you get the i want to trade i want out stuff going especially when you're not as competent as a franchise as some of the other teams are it it for me it's kind of like we got to cut bait here and we got to get going quick um so bringing in westbrook i thought was probably the best case scenario um, not necessarily meaning that that's some great, oh, we won the trade type of deal, but you're talking about a guy in John Wall who, you know, six months ago, eight months ago, we're, we're talking about is not going to be traded and might finish his career as a wizard solely because nobody's going to want to trade him. Right. So, as much as I love John, for me, it was kind of like once that started, you can't have that holding over your head if somebody wants out of 
whatever situation they're in. So it's not me blaming John. It's not me blaming the Wizards. It's kind of like, it's kind of growing stale. If that's the case, we should probably, we should probably cut ties. Right. Um, the pick, obviously the protections are pretty crazy on that. So I'm not like, I think at first, a lot of people were like, oh, Wizards trading another first round pick because they love trading first round picks. But I'm not overly concerned with that one only because it's one of those ones where if they're good, you know, they get a, the Rockets get a low first in a couple of years. It's not as big a deal. And if the protections are high enough, or if the Wizards stink like they do right now, they'll still have their pick, and then it'll eventually turn into a couple of seconds. Right. Um, Russ, the first thing I said when they traded for Russ, obviously John can also feel his injuries. It's going to be about when Russ's nosedive happens, solely because you're talking about a guy who's 32 years old, and he's his game is on athleticism, right? So it's not my, it wasn't my concern whether he's going to be able to play and shoot up and be healthy. It was more about when that burst is going to kind of fall. Um, so that's the big concern with Westbrook. But you're also talking about a guy in John Wall who's coming off an Achilles injury. So it's kind of like, which, you know, who do you want to put your money on in that situation on damaged goods? Um, so, yeah, I mean, Russ, I wasn't, I was kind of indifferent on the trade. I don't think the Wizards are going anywhere in general, but, you know, I think that getting rid of John from a locker room standpoint was probably best. I think it it had probably, the situation had probably been set its course. Um, it's still early with Russ. So I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not going to knock him too much, but there's ways to go. Right. Ways to go. So. And Chip. Yeah. You, I know you wanted to get in there. Oh no. I was just going to say he's filling up the stat sheet. Like he, like he he's usually would, up. like he's, he had three triple doubles, but three. this, the scoring isn't there. So like, and he hasn't been getting to the, that's one thing I noticed. He hasn't been getting to the foul line. He's only taken 11 free throws in uh, Mm -hmm. three games. So that's something that really stands out, but you figure eventually that's something that'll come and the points won't be a problem because he's Russell Westbrook. Eventually he'll get to the free throw line. So that's not much of a concern. And something that's also encouraging. He isn't, doesn't appear to be chucking up too many bad threes. He's only taken 10 threes. So that's also a good thing. He's carrying that over from last year. Yeah, but yeah, and you figure they'll be better than over four. Yeah, and they missed, they missed him in one of those games too. So that, mm-hmm. you got to figure they'll bounce back from that. But uh, what are your first impressions of? I know they've only played together three games, but the Beal Westbrook pairing—that's obviously the most important thing. Two of them together. What's your first I, impressions of them? So funny enough, that's one of the few things that be, was a concern coming into the season that has just kind of faded. So it's kind of interesting because stat sheet wise, Russ has been, it's kind of the Russell Westbrook experience. You, you want him to shoot better. He's taken a lot of mid range jumpers. Um, so like, you know, everybody, the focus is always on the threes. My problem thus far is he's taken too many mid range jumpers. Um, but playing next to Beal, I think has been fine. It hasn't been great because they haven't been very good, but it's been, it's been what you would hope that it can develop into. They didn't play Russ in the preseason, which I get it, but it's also like you're gonna you're gonna hit some growing pains because he played one half of preseason basketball and then you're throwing him on the court to play with a team that for the most part is this is intact from last year. You add Russell Westbrook and a couple of other, you know, rotational guys, but the team is pretty similar. So their you know, their chemistry is already there. So bringing Russ into the mix, I would have preferred to see him on the court a little bit more. Um, Brad though is going to be Brad. So that's my thing with him. You know what you're getting. He's only going to get better. He's in the, you know, in the, he's just entering his prime. So what you see is only going to be, you're only going to see a better version of him for the next couple of years. 
So it's always about who, how can he fit next to whoever they bring in and be this time, you know, being Russ. So the interesting thing to me too, is like you bring up Bradley Beal and I actually feel like that's a big part of the reason that they won the trade, like objectively. And I think I forget which podcast it was, but Chip and I talked um, with maybe one or two other people about the deal when it first went down. And I think the whole reason I felt like the wizards won the trade was that if you were going to get rid of Wall's contract, I think in any other situation, you were going to have to attach like not just one pick, but like a couple mm-hmm. of picks. Yep. And I, I think, you know, they found a, a partner in the Rockets that was, you know, looking for a, a way out of, of Westbrook as well. You know, someone who's not, you know, still has some, some mileage left in the tank. Yep. Um, and then the other thing for me too is like, where the where the wizards are right now especially after beal signed that extension you can't rebuild around him like you you can't you would have to mm-hmm. trade him so mm-hmm. i feel like for the situation that they're in they did i think reasonably the best that they could do um you know to to kind of appease beal and say like listen we're still going for this and like we still want to win with you on the team um but another thing I, I, I wanted to ask, um, and it's, you know, Russ is such an interesting player. Like he, there are some people that swear by him and, and some people that feel like, you know, he, he doesn't really do a great job of making other people better. Sure. The triple doubles are great. Sometimes he hunts for those stats. There's not a, a whole lot of data um, that says that it leads to winning if he's by himself. I mean, he's certainly mm-hmm. done a fair amount of winning with the Thunder for sure. Um, but what do you feel like adding Russ does for the, for the young guys on the team? Like, I think to me, that's very interesting because you have, you know, Rui, you have uh, Denny of Dia, uh, Thomas Bryant, Troy Brown, you know, Isaac, uh, you know, I, I, what do you think if anything, bringing Russ does for them? Do you feel like it, it will help their development? Do you feel like it will hurt their development? What's kind of your take on that? Yeah, I think that, I think that's a very good question. I think, I don't think it can hurt in any, any way. And the reason I say that is because the, the culture in DC has always been the biggest question mark more than the, the moves they make. The, the, it's been spotty, right? They, they let a lot of guys do a lot of different things, whether it be up top, you know, in, in the front office, whether they it be the players, whatever the case is. So this is no indictment on John, but when John was here, John's not the leader that, that Russell Westbrook is, regardless of how well they're playing. Right. Um, and Tommy Shepard, their GM, preached when he got the job that he wanted to reshape the culture, um, which was a big part in picking Rui when he when they you know when the draft came around. Um, it was a big part in trading for Russ and making a couple of other moves that they've done. You saw opening night. I don't know how much if you guys watched the game at all when they played Philly, but they just looked not only energized, but they looked like they were, they were ready, ready to go. Now it's opening night. So, I mean, you know, everybody's ready to go, but it looks, they looked a little bit more amped to go and, you know, high five and teammates and doing stuff like that. And I think that's mostly an indictment of Russell Westbrook and the type of leader he is, you know, Kobe Bryant even mentioned, you know, when they interviewed him, you know, who's got that like mentality that you have. And he's like the closest person is Russell Westbrook. Um, so I think on that standpoint, you can't, you know, it's definitely an improvement from John again, not an indictment on John at all. It's just, that's just how, who Russell Westbrook is. Right. Um, I think that, you know, it's 
going forward, his play is obviously going to be in the most important, but you can never be mad at somebody who's going to be a great locker room help. Like I think that Russ will be, I don't think that this is like a Houston situation where you got, you know, James Harden next to you and a lot of other guys who, you know, kind of think that they're, you know, higher up than they are, you know, in Washington, you have Bradley Beal and then you have youth. So that I think that those guys are going to sit there and they're going to see this nine time all NBA guy, MVP guy and go, we need to we need to listen to what this guy has to say. So I think he can only be a positive, A, because he's Russell Westbrook, and B, because the culture set before Russell Westbrook wasn't that great anyway. So it can only, only go up from there. Yeah, which leads me into my question about uh, your opinion on Scott Brooks, because the takes yeah, – yeah, uh, you, no. you just laughed every, when I said his name. Any, anyone listening, uh, Jack <laughs> immediately put his hand in his face. I can only, <laughs> I can only guess what he's going to say about Scotty Brooks tone up. <laughs> so I, it's, I'm never going to sit here and ask a guy for a job that I don't do because he's, he's a professional basketball coach. I got it. I was not a fan of when they hired him. So it's they hired him. I don't again. I don't know how much you, you guys have give, dove into the, the credit Wizards fandom, but it was they signed Scott Brooks as a ploy to bring in Kevin Durant in 2016. That was remember the that sole yeah. reason for, for for bringing in Scott Brooks. And the problem was with with Randy Whitman. They were a very defensive oriented team. And the big knock on Randy Whitman was they were very defensive oriented, but he didn't have any type of offensive sets you know he didn't really know how to work an offense properly and just kind of let John do his thing and Brad do his thing Scott Brooks to me had that same offensive strategy without the defense involved (laughs) um his lineup selection this year has been horrendous through four games like like I've never seen anything like it um it's kind of at this point it's kind of like if they fire him, I would be thrilled. It's kind of, you're just kind of waiting for him. His contract's up after this year. So it's kind of just waiting for that. It's at the worst case at this point. It's, it's like, uh, it's like nails on a chalkboard to be, I'm going to, I said I wasn't going to bash him, but here we are. <laughs> well, somebody has our Duncan Smith from Hoops Habit has mm-hmm. already written Scott Brooks on the hot seat article. <laughs> so it's, it feels like it's coming. He's, he's got to be yeah. one of the first, especially if they keep losing. He's, I mean, they have, clear playoff aspirations so. he's two to one right now uh odds for the first coach to get fired this season oh is he yeah so i will tell you guys my only concern with scott brooks is there's two things with that as you guys obviously can attest when you bring in a new gm they have their pick like if there's a coach who's not under contract and they bring in a new gm they have all the all the right to go no we don't want him i want to bring in my own guy they didn't do that the other problem was we all thought that the Wizards were going to fire Ernie Grunfeld, who was their GM for 100 years. And, you know, we thought they were going to fire him after Gungate in 2009. Mm-hmm. And here he, he didn't get fired until 10 years later. So it's, that's my only concern is just what, what the uh, upper tier management thinks of Scott Brooks is always what's going to weigh in. So, Is that just a financial thing? Does ownership just not like paying coaches when they're not working for them anymore? Because that can I, be a I mean, thing. We can get totally down to the rabbit hole of just, I think that the owner, Ted Leonza, just doesn't really care that much about basketball. So he just, because he also owns the Washington Capitals, who, have, who are a, you know, a Stanley Cup, you know, perennial team every year, um, which he's done a great job managing, you know, owning them. I just think he's just kind of like, I've sounds like for the hell of it. Sounds like another team I know a little bit. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Sounds but, like uh, another owner. Yeah. Yeah. 
But yeah, I just, I think that with that in mind, he's, he's a money grubber like most owners are, but it, it makes it worse that I just think that's not his first priority to begin with. So I think he just kind of, you know, he knows Scott Brooks owes, is owed $7 million. He probably likes Scott Brooks as a person because Scott Brooks seems like a good guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everybody likes him, right? Yeah. But yeah. So that's, I just think our owner doesn't really care that much if we want to get dive into that. But it's, it's so funny too. Like we, Chip and I, inevitably we'll see Scott Brooks on uh, MSG every year, uh, regardless of whether the Knicks are playing, you know, a team that he's coaching or not, because he used to play for the Knicks. And there you MSG, go. MSG always runs this, this bit where I guess back in the 90s, they played some joke on Scott Brooks because he was on the team and they played some joke that he was cut or something like that from the team. And like Clyde was in on it. I, I mean, he, he clearly knew what was going on, but they literally run that, sh- that ad or whatever it is every year. And we're just like, oh, all right. Yeah. Here we go. Things. Like we're going to do this again. And it's always when we're playing usually a team that he's coaching. So oh. Um, oh. I always see that, but I was, I, I did see, um, one thing I did see in researching for this podcast in terms of the lineups that you're talking about, it does sound like a lot of fans are very frustrated. Um, I guess I saw recently, I don't know if it's two games that are in the middle of the four game losing streak, but apparently, uh, Raul Neto was playing very well in the first half and then mm-hmm. Brooks couldn't find any minutes for him in the second half, um, it's just always so interesting to me, Jack. Like I, like, I feel like when a coach is really on the hot seat, these things really start to come to head. Um, and it's just so hard. It's like hard for me to wrap my head around because like, it seems so obvious if a guy is playing well um, to keep playing him. But it's so, it's so funny because like Chip and I, we're, we're watching the Knicks and Alfred Payton was literally having the game of his life two <laughs> games ago. And then Tibbs... <laughs> Tibbs sat him for like, you know, uh, not a long time. He still played and he, he played really well in his stat line. He got good minutes, but even uh wall Clyde Frazier had brought up the fact that he's literally, you know, burning a hole through the hoop and Tibbs sits him for the last, you know, whatever, five, six minutes of the half. It's just interesting. You know, I think coaches get so stuck sometimes to their, they have a formula of how many minutes yep. they want to play guys and Absolutely. who wants to fit in this rotation and they just stick to it. And I guess Neto was was a casualty of that. I don't know. It was it was it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So to a smaller so Neto Neto they brought him in. They already had they have Ismith for a big cap number as their backup point guard. So the Neto signing was strange. Right. So they also drafted Cassius Winston in the draft. Oh, shit. so I and I you know I was a big fan of them drafting him, and then a week later they signed. Neto and it wasn't like oh that's a terrible signing it was kind of questionable because you now have four four point guards right um and that and Neto you know made me eat my words because the first game and a half he played really well you know more of a game manager guy but he, you know he's shoots the, he was shooting the ball solidly um and then yeah and that Orlando game he played in the first half was on fire he had like 11 points in the first half and then didn't play in the second half and then I guess Scotty caught on to that, that everybody was upset. He played in the next game and he like overplayed him. And he, I think Neto was like one for eight. And it was just like, all right, like, well, just zero adjustment. Right. Zero adjustment. And then there was another one. So game one, we had no, no answer for Joel Embiid defensively because we don't play any defense anyway. Um, Thomas Bryant's not much of a defender on the interior or, you know, stretching out. Robin Lopez, who they signed, was getting killed inside. 
So they played Mo Wagner, right? Yeah. Who's not that fourth known quarter as, was brutal. That so, but it was interesting because Mo is not known as much of a much of a defender, more of a you know stretch five guy. And he did. I tweeted about. It. I was like, Mo Wagner did a great job just containing Joel Embiid. You're not going to yeah. stop him, but he did great. He played like ten minutes, and I thought he did a nice job forcing up some some bad shots from Embiid. And then he hasn't played since, like at all, like zero minutes. <laughs> it just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So, that's for, um, yeah, that's just really weird that coaches do stuff like that. I, I always and Mike Breen kind of brought up what Jeff, when you're talking about the Alfred Payton thing, Breen kind of brought up that coaches now have like designated times when they just are supposed to bring out players and players know that and players kind of like that. So I, I think a lot of it is that. But the stuff you're talking about, Jack, like I think a, the better coaches like notice when guys are doing well, oh, like yeah. like Tibbs obviously noticed how much better uh, our guys have been like our younger guys have been playing and is, mm-hmm. and our, what even now are not so young guys have been playing, but, and is inserting them into the lineup. The, the Neto thing is weird. Obviously Jeff's talking about that and you guys are talking about that. And then Wagner coming in and playing good defense and then not playing again. It's, but I mean, that's been a knock on him since Oklahoma city, okay. yeah, like the, the plain uh, offensive playbook and the, rotations he's just very mm-hmm. uh oriented there but it's i mean that's always been a knock on him i saw a tweet after uh westbrook had his first practice with them uh he was joking around with them he's like man you're running the same stuff and like oh, <laughs> I got yeah, to right. to. yeah yeah <laughs> and, and so everybody's sitting there like within like the organization and fans are like awesome you know russ is gonna hop right back in there and i'm like dude what that's not a positive thing at all. It's not on this team. <laughs> Didn't make any sense. I'm glad somebody picked that up because I was pulling my hair out. Yeah. I was like, oh, my goodness. Not not the best quote. No. 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 When no. he was running pin down, I remember Zach Lowe ripping him for running pin downs for Kevin Durant back in the day. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, I remember back when he was in Oklahoma City, they were talking about, you know, Durant, Harden, Westbrook, and they were like, the only the only guy that can stop this team is Scott Brooks. <laughs> Literally the only guy who could stop this team. Is it ridiculous? But to your point about him not being fired there, it took a lot to get him fired in Oklahoma City. Yeah, yeah it took I, a lot. I, it, it It's like one of those things where we as fans, like, it sucks because it's like a it's like a work it's like a regular you know nine to five work environment. Scott Brooks is probably a great guy and they want him yep. to be a good coach and he's probably really nice and schmoozes the bosses and schmoozes the players. But it's like, <laughs> dude, what's going on? Yeah. What are you doing? The, the, if the great players like you. It's hard to get fired. That's absolutely, true. absolutely. Jack, I was going to ask you. So um, let's just say I don't want to say when, but who knows? Maybe it is when at this point, but. Uh, if and when um, Scott Brooks does get the axe, do you think that the Wizards will hire from within? Do you think they will go um, outside the organization? Are there any candidates that you personally would like to see considered for the job? So it, that's a very interesting question. I think, like, obviously, like, off the bat, I think, like, the Kenny Atkinsons of the world are kind of what a lot of people think off, you know, right, if, you know, when Scott Brooks gets, gets fired. I think it kind of depends on the Beal situation, personally. I think that if Beal is still there, you kind of have to find somebody, whether it be within or without um, the organization, who's still going to be able to to run a competent, you know, well, you know, well-oiled machine that's that's trying to go for the playoffs. 
Um, they don't have a whole lot of coaching experience within the organization, head coach-wise. Um, their G League affiliate is a guy named Robert Pack, who's a kind of an interesting guy. He coached them last year. They weren't great last year, but he would be an interesting kind of young developmental type of guy if they decided to go in that direction. Um, but I think, you know, Atkinson's the type of guy who they should look at. And knowing them, they'll they'll go interim for the rest of the season and then rehire over the summer, though. That's just a typical Wizards move. They'll hire, you know, Tony Brown, who's their associate head coach or somebody like that. So, Jack, you mentioned Beal. You mentioned mm-hmm. Beal. What's your take on him long term? Because obviously playoffs is the goal. But what do you think they need to do in the playoffs to kind of sway him more towards Washington? I, it, the way that Brad talks, I don't think that they can – I think he's out the door personally. I think he should have been out the door. Um, I've been saying since John got hurt that it's probably time to, to cut the, you know, to, to cut bait with Brad. Um, it's just, they don't have the cap to put the team around Brad that he wants to be good. Um, they kind of have to do, you know, kind of lateral moves like Westbrook um, because they're not, you know, as, as smart with their money as they should be. Um I think with, with, you know, Westbrook's obviously probably going to be here for the foreseeable future, unless he works his stock up at this point, obviously um, with you know, Rui, you know, if they weren't good this year and got a good draft pick and then traded Beal for, you know, Jalen Brown, Brandon Ingram, somebody like that. It's an interesting team moving forward. Um, those are not like serious rumors as in Brand, you know, Brown or Ingram, obviously, but just players like that, that they could potentially get back. The, the Drew holiday trade, was big for me because of the haul that Drew Holiday got because I think Bradley Beal is a better player than Drew Holiday and they got a haul for 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 him. Yeah. Um I I think they should cut bait though. I think it's that time. Whether they you know win this year, you know, maybe the playoffs, win a series, I I I don't think they're going anywhere to be completely frank. That's so. interesting. Do you think that's the consensus with uh Wizards fans or are you kind of in the minority there? I it, I think it depends on just how I like to look at things from a realism perspective. <laughs> so, and I think a lot of fans with Brad and with John when he was here being, you know, homegrown guys who can really, who they think have the, you know, the, the heart to, to be really good. They probably think that maybe they can, can work something out. You know, Westbrook and Beal sounds like a, you know, like a great, great backcourt. And it is a great backcourt, but when you don't have the team around it to, to set it up for the success that you want, which, you know, the Wizards haven't made an Eastern Conference Finals in 40 years. And they haven't made an Eastern Conference Finals since my dad was a child. <laughs> so it's like, you know, if you can't do that now, you know, what's the point in still tr- – you're just prolonging a rebuild at this point, honestly, just to try to make Brad happy, which I get. You know, he's under contract. So, like, I, I understand, you know, he's, he's their guy. You know, you'd rather have a star player if you're a GM than not have a star player. Um, but it just kind of seems like it's just – you're just prolonging a rebuild of that year. You're trying to push it as far as you can before you have to move him and, and start over. So. Plus, if you wait too long to move on from them, you run the risk of winding up with a Houston James Harden situation. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I think that no offense to James Harden, I think Brad is is a good enough guy and a loyal enough guy where if he wants to trade, he'll say, "Hey, you know, he won't be vocal about it. He'll be like, hey, I don't think I, I don't think I can do this anymore.'" And he's he said he's been like, "I want to win, you know, and I want to win now," which is. I understand he's been, he's been with us since 2012 and realistically they haven't done a whole lot of winning. So I think he's, 
I think it it should be if they if they don't make the playoffs this season or you know our first round you know slaughterhouse. I think that it's this summer is probably the summer to do it, especially with you know the the free agency class and you know what's left over. You know the Bradley Beal trade option is is, is always going to be a very attractive option for other teams. So. And and moving on to that you know potential rebuild, um, there's certainly a a good amount of young players that the, the Wizards have right now. Talk to me a little bit about Denny of Dia. You know, what did you know about him prior to the draft? Were you happy with the pick? I'll totally be upfront and transparent. Um, of all the guys that I researched, I wasn't very high on him. However, I have to also um, kind of like accept the fact that so far in these first four games, he's looked really good. He's barely missed shots. Uh, shooting was a big question for him. He's hit a lot of threes so far. He's had some great mm-hmm. quotes. I mean, I think fans of the Wizards have to love what they hear from him so far. I think he even said something like, I forget, there was something, some some reporter was asking him about a, a situation that might be difficult for him or that he fears. He was like, first off, I'm not afraid of anything. And like, you know, that's what you want to hear from your mm-hmm. young guy. Um, and all reports are that he works extremely hard. He's a high character guy. I do like that his skill set meshes with with Westbrook and Beal. Mm-hmm. What 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 are you what are your overall thoughts of Denny of Dia? So funny enough, so when you know, obviously like everybody does for their team, you start look, you know, looking at films, scouting guys for your team when you know what their draft range. I didn't even look at Denny that closely because he was projected to go top five. Right. Um, so I was I was looking at Tyrese Halliburton. Obi top and you know you know guys like that were because I thought they were going to be more in in the wizard's range so when he fell to to nine I was like that's the right it's a great value pick because they you know because of where he fell to the wizards have a long track record of failed European players right um so PTSD kind of kicks in when that happens because you're like oh god you know another and it's not a knock on European players oh yeah of course that's the that's the big one um, and that's not a knock on the players per se. It is, is the much the development change when the game comes and the coaching staff and things like that. So the PTSD definitely hits when that happens. Um, and then imme- as soon as he hit camp, when he touched, you know, he touched the practice floor, everybody was ranting and raving about him. more than they were. So for Rui, who's even had a good rookie year. Um, I think Denny has a very high ceiling. Um, he can be a great, you know, a great player, you know, better than a three and B type of player. I think he can do a lot more. He's a very good secondary playmaker who can play next to a Russell Westbrook. He's, he was, had a big knock on his shooting coming in and he shot very well. And the other thing that's been really interesting is he, he wasn't, they didn't, when he came in, it wasn't like he was a bad defender. They kind of just kind of thought he was just an average defender. He needed some work. And I think he's probably been the best defender on the team this year outside of Isak Bonga. Um, So I, I mean, I, I kid you not, after two games, I I started, I've been looking at, you know, Russell Westbrook jerseys and things like that, you know, because, you know, I have all this John Wall stuff and I'm like, I might, you know, just, just, just pass on Russ and just go straight for Denny at this point. But I'm a big fan, all in on him so far. Was a little bit skeptical at the beginning as we had for everything that I said as well as you attested to, um, but I've been a big fan so far, so. I mean, that's definitely good. And, and he's impressed. And I, 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 mm-hmm. listen, I like the young court. Um, that you have and, and actually I do want to get a little bit more into them but the first before before we do that uh, the one question I also want to ask you too is so currently the Wizards are 0-4 mm-hmm. uh, 
Westbrook in terms of his statistical production, as we discussed before, has been pretty good, has had three triple doubles. The turnovers, though, have also been high as well. The bench reportedly has struggled. What are the overall reasons for the Wizards' record thus far? What do you feel like is the biggest thing holding them back? Because they've even had some leads in some of these games. I mean, even particularly with the 76ers. Um, but what, what's holding them back right now? I think that the easiest uh, blame is the, the lineup situation. Um, Scott Brooks, I, I, yeah, we don't, I'm not trying to harp on Scott Brooks, but it's just like you go into the fourth quarter, you know, and, and Orlando goes on an 8-0 run, right? And it's like, all right, you know, quick key. You know, we got need a quick timeout. Let's, you know, let's get this back together. Russ is a, you know, Russ is a coach on the floor. Let's, and Scott Brooks let it, lets it bleed. He lets it bleed to 12. He lets it bleed to 14. Right. Before you know it, you're, you're, you're climbing up a hill that you can't battle, you know, you battle back from at that point. Um, they're very poor defensively, rotational-wise. Um, I think that I, – I think part of that is them just not being having a lot of great defenders on the team. Part of it just getting used to playing with Russ in there. Um, and having guys like be having to rely on guys like Thomas Bryant, who are very, you know, have a lot of potential in the offensive end, and are just not very good defensively. Um, and then the other thing is they just haven't shot well. Like they just flat out like you're talking about a team that's got Davis Bertans, who's one of the best shooters in the NBA. Bradley Beal is supposed to be a great shooter. Russell Westbrook is supposed to be getting to the basket a lot, and they just haven't shot well anybody except for a half of Raul Neto. Uh, so I think it's got to be attributed to just cold shooting, lineup, debacles, poor defensive rotations, the list goes on. But those are the three big ones for me. So we talked about uh, Neto a little bit earlier, but is there any like specific lineup changes or moves, whether it's starting lineup or closing that you'd like to see Brooks make? Well, so I mean, the biggest problem, and it's kind of goes back to like, what is Scott Brooks thinking? So you bring in Russell Westbrook, right? And this is in particular in the fourth quarter. So you bring in Russell Westbrook. And last year in Houston, we saw them trade Clint Capella so that Russell Westbrook could have shooters around him and, and be able to run rampant like he does. And Scott Brooks doesn't do that. Like, he's, just done, like he, he's had Russell Westbrook for five years in Oklahoma City, has him now. You'd think he's going to go five wide every single time Russell Westbrook's in the game. And I kid you not, they played a lineup, and they've done it multiple times. Kid you not, the lineup is Russell Westbrook, Ish Smith, Raul Neto, Troy Brown, and Robert, Robin Lopez. So you basically have Russell Westbrook playing point forward at this point with no shooting next to him. And he's done it three times, like for long stretches. Wow. And it's like, dude, <laughs> what? A lot of so, questions there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, like, it's, so they close in Orlando, finally somewhat of a reasonable lineup. They went Russ, Brad, Bertans, Bryant, and I think Isak Banga, who's like, yeah, he's, he's an improving shooter. And they, you know, they, they're, they were down by like 18. They cut it to eight, right? But it's like, why is that lineup? Why was that, not line, that lineup not playing in Philly? Why was that lineup not playing when you were in the game in Orlando yesterday? And then in Chicago, nobody played well, so it kind of didn't even matter at that point. Yeah. So. In, in talking about that young core, um, and I, I incorrectly referred to him as Isaac Bongo, but Isaac, Isaac Bongo. <laughs> I feel like he probably gets that a lot. Yeah, he yeah. probably does. 
<laughs> probably does. But between Isak, uh, Danny, Thomas Bryant, Troy Brown, Rui, um, and anybody else that I haven't mentioned, Cassius, of course, as well, who would you kind of rank in terms of, you know, the future of the Wizards, who you really buy into, who you don't? Uh, Rui's a really interesting player to me to talk about because I know that he started off really, really well last year, kind of fell off, was also injured. Uh, but I know people generally around the NBA are, are, are fairly high on him for his skill set. But who do you really like out of that group? Um, I honestly, because as far as because it's a it's a lot of low ceiling, high floor guys in that group, which is you know take that how you want. It depends on what you're really shooting for. Um, Denny to me is the guy who I think can be the best out of that group. Um, it's been a small sample size, but he's just shown through all the things that we've talked about that he can be a really really good player like potential all-star type of guy depending on how things go for him um so i'd probably take him right now it's again i could be wrong 15 games from now because it's only been such a small stretch um but i like him the best personally Rui is a very as i said before very high floor low ceiling type of guy um i think that he's going to come in he can always start for your team at the four potentially slide down to the three um he's always going to shoot solidly from mid-range be solid offensively you know he's pretty good on the glass for four um he needs some work defensively that i think can be that's the next step for him um he's kind of like a perennial just starter to me like i think he can he'll have a 15-year career where he always starts where he goes right um so i'll probably take him second uh thomas bryant is great offensively and everybody in dc loves him and i'm just not i'm not that i'm not that convinced So the, the reason for Thomas Bryant, great offensively, he can shoot. You know, he's very solid and he's a very solid passer for, for a five. And I just think his limitations defensively just almost make him a net negative when he's on the floor, just from a defensive standpoint. And the problem with it is it's, he works his tail off. He is a, you know, he's a hard worker. He's, he's got a lot of emotion, which everybody in, in the area loves. My bigger concern is his physical limitations on defense, where I'm not sure that that's like a teachable thing. Um, like it's not even an IQ thing. He's just very slow laterally. Watch, especially you know on pick and rolls and things like that. It's just like it's it's barbecue chicken at that point. Right. I mean, he's just he's just getting fried. Um, I I think he can. I think he's a very. I think he's a rotational guy. I think he should. He could be a seven or an eight on a on a good playoff team. Um, I don't think he has any business being a starting center for a, for a good contending team. He's a great fit next to Russ. So don't get me wrong on that one. Um, I just, I'm just concerned about the defensive limitations. If I'm wrong, I'm, I'm the first one who can admit that. Um, but it's just, it's, it's a concern. Um, Bonga, great defender working on the shot, you know, very small sample size for him. He doesn't play as much as he should to me. It's the best defender on the team has a lot of potential defensively though, as a long armed wing defender. Um, I think those four are the are the four big ones. I, again, I, although I knocked Thomas Bryant, I would still I still think he's a great piece to have as a rotational piece on a rebuilding team. I just don't love him as your starting five is my big thing with that. Um, so those four in particular, Cassius, you know, we'll see. Um, they have a kid named Garrison Matthews who I wrote an article about this week. He was a laser laser shooter, laser three point shooter. You think would be perfect next to Russell Westbrook. And has been active, inactive for three of the four games that they've had so far. So you just got a shooter riding the pine for you for Scott Brooks reasons. So, <laughs> so but yeah, I think that's it's safe that's, to say you're right about Thomas Bryant. Yeah, 
I mean, he was the with the defense. Yeah, I mean, he was the starting center last year on the worst defensive team in the NBA, right? Yep. So mm-hmm. it'd be safe to say that. Yeah, and to maybe make an adjustment in the starting lineup there mm-hmm. at some point. Do you think that, like, is that something you think could happen? Like, maybe if they want to change something up with the def, like try and bulk up the defense, maybe move Lopez into the starting lineup at some point? I, I, well, I think Robert Lopez is a cap casualty sitting on your bench. I, he's been horrendous. Um, but I will tell you the thing that's, that's, that was ridiculous in all of this is the most ridiculous thing I heard. So they're going into the, the off season. They got the MLE to play with, you know, $10 million and they had a couple of trade exceptions and Tommy Shepard, the, the GM of the wizards said, he like told agents, he was like, if you're, if you think that you have big men who are going to try to come in here and start, they're not starting. So he told agents and told teams coming into the offseason, he was like, if you're coming to Washington, you're not starting at center. So I'm sitting there going, you know, Tristan Thompson's out there, who I thought had been would have been an interesting fit prior to Russ obviously being traded. That wouldn't have been a good fit. Um, but guys like that, and then they sign Robin Lopez, and then you find out that he said that Brian was going to be the starter. And it's kind of like, why? You know, yeah. why? Like, I, and I don't have any problem with saying that Brian's going to be a, you know, a, a, a important piece of your young roster. If you want to say that, I don't have any problem with that, but sh- you know, shooing off potential agents and players because you are already naming Thomas Bryant, your center did not make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, I think it should be their, their energy backup center. If they want to be a good playoff team. That's how, that's how I see it. I, that's his, that's his height for me as a, as a center in, in the NBA. So. Yeah, especially if um, if you hadn't even gone through preseason at that point yet. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I totally understand prioritizing your young players and making sure they're getting minutes. But and I feel like every fan base goes through this this argument within the fans. Like, listen, you got to play the young kids thirty minutes every night, um, and they got to go through their lumps. And then there's you know, I I don't know. I that's not always necessarily the best way to do it. Sometimes it's well, maybe they should fight for a starting job or, you know, maybe you should pair them with some vets who can teach them on the court and off the court, you know, what to do in certain situations. But to come out just in the off season, even without preseason being played and say, listen, yeah, you could, he could sign here, but he's not starting. I mean, to say that for any big man on the free agent market is, is, is pretty wild. Yeah. And then the, the funniest part in all of it was, you know, they had the MLE, which is usually, you know, around $10 million. I'm, I'm not sure of the specifics, but he gave $7 million to Robin Lopez, who was on a vet minimum last year. So it's kind of like, what's the... <laughs> That's pretty crazy, actually. What's the thought process here? <laughs> like, Robin Lopez, who was he like, he didn't have some, like, spectacular year last year in Milwaukee. Yeah, so it was just kind of like, not not bringing in centers, bringing in Robin Lopez for $7 million when you kind of use that on, you know, Jay Crowder, Mo Harkless, you know, another defender, if you don't want to bring in a big. Just, it was like, it was kind of like that that signing in particular was kind of like didn't make a whole lot of sense with everything that came into it. That might have so. been more that might have been more than he got to play with the Knicks. Uh and he actually I think came off a pretty decent season when Phil Jackson signed him. So I I'd have to look back at it, but that that's pretty wild. It yeah, it was it was nappy. I didn't I didn't really understand. And and Robin Lopez since he's been in Washington has been not good. <laughs> like it's not even like he came in and you know, it's not like he's not playing up to his $7 million contract. It's he's not playing up to being in the rotation. Right. So it's like, we, we got to, you literally have a, have a handicap sitting on your bench. Handicap isn't like the cap casualty. So. 
That sounds like an agent hookup contract. The one year, seven million. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. There. I, at that point, you're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense to me. Chip, I was going to ask, do you have anything um, else for Jack before we let him go? Uh, I don't. I don't think so. I think I asked everything I I wanted to ask. Yeah. I think uh, I think I did pretty pretty um pretty much as well. Um. Well, listen, Jack. Thank you so much, man. Uh, we really appreciate your time. This is a great combo. Yep. Uh, before we wrap up here, Jess, if you could give um, anyone listening just a chance to let them know where they can find your work, uh, your Twitter handle. If there's anything that you're working on now that you want to promote, please do so. Yeah, absolutely. I, again, I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, you can find me on uh, on Twitter. My Twitter name is, I'm in the middle of changing it, but it's just underscore Jack one. You um, can find all my writing. I'm pretty much only talking about basketball on there. So that's all you're going to find. Um, I write for wizofalls.com as a contributor over there. Shout out to my site editor, Ethan Smith. Uh, great guy, as well as Colin Loring. I know he's a good friend of, uh, good friend of you guys. Colin was, uh, he was, when I started with Wiz of Oz, was a, was also a writer at the time. And I kind of used him as a crutch throughout to kind of show me the ropes and stuff like that. So shout out to those guys. Um, I also have the working title podcast, uh, like Jeff mentioned earlier, which is a, uh, Baltimore-based podcast that I'm a co-founder of. Um, I'm the host of the sports segment where we normally are also talking NBA. Um, we also have music segments and interview segments for local area pop culture stuff as well. Um, shout out to you guys. Check out the uh, check out the podcast. Check out the, all the Knicks, Knicks stuff that the fellas have going. And uh, like I said, I really appreciate you for having me on. So absolutely and for everybody listening out there please go go and follow jack on twitter check out his podcast i'm i'm gonna be sure to do that as well check out his writing um and uh, for everybody out there we hope you guys are being safe and we will talk to you soon